You know, one of the things that um, I don't think preachers express this quite often enough, but when we stand in this pulpit, we're not just looking out at a crowd. We're not looking at an audience, but we're looking at brothers and sisters in Christ, individuals. Perhaps we've known them a long time, and perhaps maybe just a short time. But you're not just one of individuals sitting in an audience, but you're very precious unto our Heavenly Father. You're very precious unto me, each and every one. And I hope that you understand that and know that. Now, I said all of that so I can offend you. <laughs> no, i kind of joking there. But should we never offend anyone? I think the title that is in the bulletin, Never Offend Anyone. But if you and I know anything about anything, we know that that's an impossibility. We're going to be on both ends of that spectrum. You are either going to be offended by someone or <clears throat> maybe even by me. And I'm going to be offended by you sometimes. But it's how we handle that offense that is really going to matter. And also there is a context there in which we need to really pay attention to. Because if I deliberately offend you, just do things to, you might say, and let me use a modern phrase, get your goat, or to show you that I have a position that indeed I don't like that you have, then perhaps I'm being offensive to you. And maybe I'm the recipient, or maybe I'm the one that is presenting that unto you. But it seems to be that in the Lord's kingdom that we want to soft-pedal everything. We want to do that because we walk on eggshells, because we do not want to offend anybody. A preacher should never stand here and offend a brother unnecessarily. He should never stand here, get on his soapbox, and begin to do things, say things that is going to hurt another individual. But always a preacher needs to, a teacher, a Bible teacher, and anyone that is a Christian, when they're discussing, when they're talking to another individual are to do so with softness, to do so in love and care for that individual. Now that's not always a possibility because there are times when the Bible teaches us in order for you and I to be consistent that we're going to have to teach, proclaim, and read God's Word. I want to give you an example. The passage that was just read by Brian, if there was no explanation to it, if there was nothing said, and Brian were to just get up here, look at you, the audience, or my brothers and sisters in Christ, and say those words, I guarantee you, you would be offended. If I am to preach a lesson on the creation of the heavens and the earth, and I proclaim by the truth, the Word of God, that there is no such thing as, you might say, evolution or a theory of evolution. 
but that God created everything in six literal 24-hour days, which he did. If there would be an atheist, if there would be one that believes in evolution to the core, then they would be offended. But that's not Bill offending them. That is the Word of God offending them, in which we are obligated to present. I think we all understand that. You had to do so. You've had to be an apologist for the Word of God. Now, let me explain that word apologist. It's not the same word you and I would use for apologize. It's not the word that I, okay, I said something that offends you, so I want to come to you and apologize for that or take it back or repent of it. That's not what the Bible is teaching. An apologist is one that will stand firm upon a position that is right, never a position that is wrong. An apologist is one that will take the Word of God and stand upon that until the day that they die and leave this world. That's what an apologist biblically is. Now we've been told in Jude verse 3 that we are to contend honestly for the faith which was once for all time delivered. Now look at the word contend. Go back to the original language. I challenge you to go back to the original language, the Greek language, which each and every one of you probably have on your phone, your iPad, whatever electronic device you might have. And when you read and you get a definition of that word contend, you're going to find out with every, all the vigor you have, all the strength you have, all the might you have, exists because you are to defend God's Word. In John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, the verses that have just been read, And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Now what my Lord is saying there to his apostles is this. You're going to go out and you're going to go out amidst those that are wolves in sheep's clothing. You're going to go out and you're going to talk with individuals about the coming of the kingdom. You're going to have discussions. You're going to have to tell them what the Bible teaches and what I've taught you in order to tell them that they lie in sin. And because of that, you're going to be condemned. Now notice he says, this is the condemnation. That light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light. What happens when you take something in the dark, you take a thief, you take anyone doing any sinful thing that is against the will of God, and you shine a light upon that, what does that do? That exposes, exposes their error. It exposes their sin. It exposes their relationship with God. And he's talking about men here that are religious men. And I might want to talk a little bit more about that this evening. But light has come into the world and men love what? Notice the verse there. Darkness. Well, I love the sin that I'm in. I love the things that I can do in the world. I love all the things that I can enjoy. And I'm not going to lie to you. 
When you feed the flesh sometimes, it, it gives you a, 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 an euphoria feeling or it gives you something that you like. Sin is something that people like. Sin is something that is enjoyable to the flesh. That we know that sin is against God himself. And men love that darkness rather than light. So they're going to do what to the apostles? They're going to reject the apostles. They're going to persecute them. They're going to push them out of their synagogue. And we go through the book of John. We learn all about that. You go to the book of Acts and you're going to see example after example after example of God's people being tormented. You're going to see them persecuted. You're going to see them die. You're going to see them excluded because they stand for the will of God. The nature sometimes that is within some individuals, if you tell me I'm wrong, if you tell me this isn't correct by the Word of God, I don't care. I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to continue to do what I want to do. Why? Because a selfish person will always be offended at God's Word. That's what he's telling the apostles. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. There comes that when one is evil in their thinking and their life, and they are surrounded by it and they enjoy it, they're going to hate the light because it exposes them. And people don't like to be exposed. But notice he says here, that heedeth the light, neither cometh to the light. Well, you shine the light on me, so I'm going to do what? I'm going to react in one of two ways. I'm either going to say, well, that is correct, that's what God says, that's what the Bible says, and I'm going toward that light, I'm going to get in the light, and I'm going to walk in the light, as First John teaches us, and I'm going to live as a Christian, as a child of God, or they're going to try to kill the messenger. That's what they did back in ancient times, as we called it. When a king sent out a decree, when someone sent something out, and he said, this is to be done, or even the Christian people, this is to be done. Rather than accept the light, rather than accept that which is true and that which is right, they would rather persecute. I ask you a simple question. If you read your history in any sense, any way, what did they do to the apostles? As far as I know, every one of them was persecuted. They were all put to death with the exception of John. But even as John died as an old man, he was in exile. He was put off in the Isle of Patmos, and there you and I have where he wrote from there, which God inspired him to write, the book of Revelation. There it is, Revelation, not Revelations, because there's only one Revelation. And so you see, he even was challenged. But the Jews said, Paul, we're not going to eat nor are we going to drink until you're put to death. I would submit to you that would have been a long time and they would have starved to death or they would have died of thirst, either one. That doesn't make sense for someone to do something like that, but that's what they did. Lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth the truth cometh to the light 
that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. God's waiting. God will forgive if we follow his path of redemption. If we follow his path of sanctification and justification, then God will do his part. I want you to think about something else. In contrast, Christians are to walk in the light in order to have fellowship with God and with one another. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you, that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, then we do what? We lie. If I say that I'm going to have fellowship with God, if I say that I walk according to the Bible, but I don't do that, then I am telling a lie. And do the truth, do not the truth. And I'm lying to myself and saying I do not the truth. I'm not doing the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship. One with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now what that means is the blood of Jesus Christ is always there ready to cleanse any sin. It never wears out. Continuous action, agreed. It's always there. You and I sin, we come to the Father, we acknowledge that sin, we stop it, we go, we pray to the Heavenly Father, we're going to have that blood cleanse us continuously. We, we don't, as Christians, we, we are sinners but we don't live in sin. So let's look at a couple of points. Now, that's just the introduction, okay? And I only have three pages of notes today, so you ought to get out a little early. <laughs> I've heard that before. Brethren, we should avoid offending others unless it is a matter of upholding the truth of God's inspired word. Even doing so, there is a right way of upholding the truth. And there is a wrong way. I cannot come to you with a pitchfork. I cannot come to you with a finger pointing. I cannot come to you in anger. I cannot come to you in any method, way, shape, or form in any of those methods and ever accomplish anything. We ought to be able to, we ought to have an environment, and we shall, if we be God's people, to be able to sit down to study, to discuss the things that God would have us to know. As he told the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 10, that they are to be of the same mind and of the same judgment, there's only one way that can happen, and that is if two individuals or five or whatever the case might be get together and they begin to open the Word of God and they live and they all go by that same Word. I, I contend today that denominationalism would not exist if men would open their minds and their hearts and do exactly or just do what God says. That would do away with all denominationalism. It would do away with every struggle, every trial, every error, everything that exists in the Lord's kingdom today. We also are to avoid foolish and unlearned questions. You only cause strife 
That's what they cause. Now, I would call foolish and unlearned questions are those things which might be a matter of opinion, are those things which you and I don't understand, we don't have the knowledge of, and God did not see fit to give us every scenario in the world. And so, therefore, we should avoid anything that is foolish. We can sit and argue about the resurrection body. The fact is, I don't know what the resurrection body is going to look like. All I know, the Bible said that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, like we looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I know this, that God's going to prepare a body that is fit for heaven itself, because God says he will be the one to design that. That's his business. You and I can sit around and argue about that. But wouldn't that be fruitless? But notice he said here, foolish and unlearned questions that only cause strife. Instead, we are to be gentle and patient in presenting even truth to others in need. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23-26. In the first century, there was a question as to whether or not Christians should be buy meat in the open market. Remember that? And they would take this meat, and to some it was offensive, because maybe it was meat that was offered to idols, and there was a residual of that There was left over, and they would bring it to the market, and they would sell it. And the Bible teaches us very clearly that there are some brethren that say, no, that was, that was offered unto idols, so therefore it's tainted. We can't eat it in any respect. But when it got to the market, it didn't mean that at all. It had nothing to do with taking and offering that meat unto idols. It was just meat that we could take home and cook and put on the table to feed individuals. But there were brethren, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, that there were brethren that if you took that meat, in their mind it meant you were using meat that was offered unto idols, so therefore we to abstain from it. Now we have a remedy for that. Could you and I have a disagreement on that? Certainly we could. Certainly we could, but notice he says here in verse 18, or, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians verse 8, chapter 8 and verse 13, I'll get it right in a minute. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh. While the world standeth, while the world standeth? That will be my nature. That will be my thinking. That will be my attitude. And notice, or is offended or is made weak. When one is offended unnecessarily, what does it do? It makes us weak. Weak spiritually. But what are we to do? We're to help strengthen and build up one another, not weaken each other. And so when it comes to a matter like that, I should be willing. I should be willing in that case to 
say, no, I don't have to partake of that meat. It's not necessary for me to live. It's not something I have to have. But if it offends my brother, then I'll not partake of it. And you know something? I should not think any less of my brother that it would offend at all. Because that is a conscious thing with them. Now notice the Bible teaches there, if anything I do seems wrong to me, then I better not do it. And so therefore never ever give up that conscience. But let that conscience be trained by the Word of God. Look at Romans 14, look at verse number 21. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Now the wine talking about here is not that, oh, you can drink a little wine, you can have social drinking. No, no, no. If you look at the context and you look everything about this word and every instance in which it's used, it's not talking about you have liberty to do social drinking and use alcohol. That's not what it's saying. But you see, there were some individuals that would not drink anything but wine, and it offended them because they knew eventually it would turn into alcohol. And it offended them because it was used in the Lord's Supper. In Romans chapter 14, verse 21. And if it offends me, then I'm going to go ahead and partake of the Lord's Supper. But I do not have to use, nor will I use, alcoholic wine. The passage is very similar. Living in sin or promoting error, still it should be done in the interest of the eternal welfare and not spitefully not spitefully to anyone. Explain it. Study it. Live by it. You know, these lessons are hard to learn. And sometimes it takes a lifetime to learn them. I just now, maybe a while back, maybe a few years back, I don't know. I don't remember when I really grasped this idea but I knew that if I was going to live as a child of God, that I was going to have to change my attitude. It could not be my way or the highway. Unless God said no. Unless I was contending for the faith. It may be necessary in a firm manner to, te to tell someone that they are living in sin or promoting error. Living in sin is never something that we want to receive and someone walk up to us, point at us, and say, you know, you're living in sin. But in all reality, when you take the books that we've been studying and you go through those books with an individual, in all reality, you're telling them, if they're not a Christian, you're living in sin. Now, some of them are going to take it nicely. They're going to take it, study through it, and they're going to come out on the other side. Maybe it'll be few, but there will be some. And they will obey the gospel, and they will be better off for that because their soul will be saved. But then there's others that's going to be offended, and you can count on that. But in a firm manner, you can't give up. You can't say, oh, well, I was mistaken, oh, well, this, or oh, well, that. 
because it talks about they are living in sin. Still, it should be done in the interest of their eternal welfare and spiritual salvation. Secondly, there were those who were offended at what Jesus said and what Jesus did. If you look at First Peter, if you go there to chapter 2, and let's look at verses 4 through 8. Jesus, in talking to these individuals, said, To whom coming as unto a living stone? Disallowed indeed of men, because Jesus could not be a high priest. He could not be that person, because he came from where? He didn't come from the bloodline that they thought he was going to come through. But chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Not just be a Christian, but there has to be an offering in being a Christian. And I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about those things, even though that would be a part of it. But I am to offer up a spiritual sacrifice. And I am to be a spiritual holy priest in the priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice. Not just any sacrifice, but one that is acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. For also it is contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. You're not going to be confused. And unto you, therefore, which believe in his preciousness, but unto them which believe in disobedience, the stone which the builders disallowed. Remember what the Jews thought? Remember what they were thinking? Well, God's going to come down. He's going to send Jesus, the Messiah, and he's going to establish an earthly kingdom. That was what was in their mind. And they didn't want to accept anything else. That was the way it wanted to be. And us being elite Jews, us being elite Jews in the synagogue, and us being the one that wears the the gay clothing, as they called it back then, And those that had all of that, we're going to be the upper echelon. We're going to be the ones that are going to be running and doing everything. Well, let me remind you of the Vatican. Let me remind you of Rome and Vatican City and all of that. Well, they even built their own city. They have their own banks. They have their own treasuries. They have have everything. And who did they set up as their God or their representative of God? I don't have to tell you the answer because you know. And to you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which disobedient, the stone which the builder disallowed, same as made head of the corner, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. They become disobedient. They were offended at the word. People become offended at God's word. I will say it once. I'll say it a thousand times. 
If I stand here in this pulpit and I say something that is not biblical or I say something that is wrong or I just give you an opinion and insist on that opinion being the right way and you must follow it or else, then my friends, what I'm being is obstinate. I'm being difficult. I'm being a person that should not be that way. I have become a stone of offense unto others. I should apologize for that. I should repent of that. But if I stand here, read to all of us the Word of God, never ever, as much as I love someone, will I back off from it. Never, ever. I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and how we ought to be. In other words, I guess I'm saying, lay my own feelings aside. Lay those things aside, but stand up for God's Word. Because in the end, that's all that's going to matter. Go with me to Matthew chapter 17. Look at verse number 27. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast and hook. Cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened its mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. Give it away. Doesn't matter. That's what we should do. We should follow the examples of Jesus in avoiding offending others as much as possible. It is especially true with what we say in James chapter 3, verse 2 through 12. We don't want to offend people. Sometimes there are those who are early, uh, easily offended and even look for something to be offended about. And that we can work with too. Because usually it's just a misunderstanding. Perhaps it's only... Uh, personality conflict, we ever hear of those? I, I haven't really understood them yet. I, I don't under, I kind of misunderstand. I, I know what the phrase means, but you and I, if we take on the characteristic of a Christian, we should have pretty similar personalities, I would think. But in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Never be offended in Christ. Thirdly, one of the most serious offenses is for adults to offend little children. When we talk about offending little children, I think sometimes we get off on the right tra wrong track. And when we think about offending children, we think about, I don't want to spank them. I'm not going to tell you whether to spank them or not. That's your business. You want them to grow up and be brats? Go ahead. <laughs> but what I am saying is that if you never discipline them, if you spoil them to the extent that, you know, you know if something's spoiled, is it rotten? My grandma used to say, Billy, one thing about you ain't going to happen with me. 
You ain't going to be spoiled rotten. Boy, did she mean it. And I appreciate her, my mother, my father, all those uncles, aunts, everybody. I got it from all of them from time, and that's good. That's okay. I guess that helped make me what I am today and get through the hard times, the rough times, and the uh, times that I was a heathen because I still remember what they did and what they told me that was good. But in a context here, our Lord was speaking especially of the little ones who believed in Him. If you want to offend a child, don't discipline them. If you want to offend a child, then let them do whatever they want to do, no matter what it is, and never say no to them. That's some people's idea of offending. If you want to offend them in God's sight, in the wrong way, God recognized it. Maybe we don't. Maybe we want to be the good guy. Maybe we want to put it all on our wife, or maybe we want to put it all on our husband, or maybe we want to put it on somebody else. But in the end, if I am offending my children, it might be, just might be, for a lack of discipline. But it might not be also. There might be that overbearing, there might be that father or that mother, whatever the case might be, that spend their life in drink, that spend their life in gambling, that spend their life in leading their children away from God, walking in the darkness rather than light. And if we do that, brethren, we are offending our little children. I want you to look at Matthew 18 and verse 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. You know, I believe I could go around this room this morning. And I, could, I believe I could talk to every child here. And by the way, I do quite often. Every child here. And if they could talk back, if they understood what was being said, I could ask them, do you believe in Jesus? I believe every one of them would say yes. But can I as a grown-up, can I as a grown-up influence them to the point to where they'll back off and not believe in Jesus because of my actions, because of my conduct, because of how I treat other people, well, just maybe, brethren, we need to look inward to self and make sure we're not offending these. But who shall, shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. I'm not even going to try to tell you what a millstone is, but I'll tell you this, it's heavy and you'll go to the bottom. We cannot offend our young ones by not showing them the way of salvation. Be patient with them, though. Be patient with them. Because look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think there needs to be a whole lot more preaching and teaching on this. 
some preachers might stand up here and say, you know, our young people are the future of the church. No, they're not. They're the church right now. And we can show you that by demonstration of our young men and women here that are teaching Bible classes that are Christians and our young men that are leading in worship and things such as that. And they ought to be used. And whatever they might want to speak up in class is just as important as what I might want to say. And I appreciate those that teach them. And I appreciate them learning. But, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now put your brain to work for a second. Is there anything you do in your life? Is there anything you say? Is there anything you lack and don't do? Is there anything that you lead them in a wrong direction. We need to think about that. And, and by the way, that stands for this man right here standing in this pulpit. If I offend your children by teaching a false doctrine, teaching them something that's not in the Bible, then, brethren, I am offending them if they believe it and go off and practice it. Be careful. Be very, very careful. And who you allow your young people to be taught by, who you allow them to listen to, and who you might allow them to be around in the world as they grow up. They'll have a most difficult time when they grow up, in dealing with the world, but let us not make it difficult for them now. That's how we as fathers can, you might say, offend our children. Why? Because there are more perverts, pedophiles, molesters of children sexually. Jesus would say to them, it is better that a millstone be hanged around your neck and drowned in the depths of the sea to the liar, to the thief, to the person here that does those things, not here in this building, but those that would do those things to young people and they believe it's all right. It would be better for them to be sunk in the middle of the ocean. I agree with that. you got to agree with it. Jesus said it because at least they're out of the way and they can't influence those children anymore. Last but not least, we might even offend ourselves. <clears throat> Actually, some Greek words are translated both as offense and stumble. That'd be a good study for you. Take the word offense and look at it, and you'll find out through the scriptures that sometimes it's used as offense and sometimes it's used as stumble. And it is possible for a person to offend themselves by placing a stumbling block before themselves. Let me show you how that's done. When I was young and before I was a Christian, and I hesitate sometimes to even admit some of this stuff, but I smoked. I took of worldly things. I did things that were wrong. 
And I knew it was wrong at the time I was doing it because my mother, my father, my grandparents, people taught me it was wrong, but I did it anyway. Why? Because I had a lust for the world. Because I was covetous. Because I wanted money. Different things like that. And I was offending myself. I was putting myself, putting a stumbling block before myself because I would have to admit one day I'm doing that which is wrong. And I meant for this to be a short sermon, I promise. But it just didn't work out that way. For example, by selecting what they wish to abide in by the Scriptures, rejecting other things therein, and all sorts of things like that. Look at James chapter 2, verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. I can't say that's just a small thing, small law. It doesn't amount to nothing. So I'll go ahead and do what I want to do. There's not a passage in the Bible that would condone that. Not one. We should strive to, yes, being an offense to a person. But if standing for the truth of the inspired word offends someone, then that is their problem and not the Christian's. Perhaps you're here today and you're not a Christian. You have not obeyed the gospel of Christ. The opportunity is here for one to repent, for one to confess Christ before man, and for one to be baptized for the remission of their sins. Might be that you're weak. Might be that you need prayers of the church. Never be ashamed to ask brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you, no matter what it is. Because your relationship with God is the most important thing in this whole wide world. 